inspired leadership is extremely important to making us successful. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Well, hello, and welcome back to the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host, executive coach Terry Lepofsky, and it's great to be back with you again. I'm absolutely excited about today's show because today, We're going to take you on a visionary trip into the future to talk about a topic that's extremely fascinating to me and to a lot of people, and actually a bit frightening to some others. I, for one, can't wait to learn a little bit more about this and to chat with our amazing guest. Today on Inspiring Leaders, we're going to learn about leadership and artificial intelligence. And to help us make some sense out of all this, I'm joined by a rock star in the high-tech executive community, Mr. Ellie Fathy. Ellie, welcome to Inspiring Leaders, and thank you so much for joining us here today. Terry, I'm very excited to be part of your show. I can't wait to learn more about artificial intelligence and your perspectives on leadership. Before we jump into it all, we have this tradition on the show where we ask every guest the same opening question. Absolutely. What leader inspires you and why? One person that stood in my mind in my early career is Jack Well. Oh, yeah. He was the CEO of GE. And why does he stand out? He stand out because he made a decision. He took a company that was made out of many, a conglomerate of many different diverse organizations. And he made a decision, a very bold decision saying, I'm going to be number one or number two in my industry. If I don't fit into that, I'm going to abandon it and sell this organization. That was a very bold decision where you have to shed all kinds of pieces of your organization. He used one particular saying that is actually in one of my blogs. And he said, if you're going to succeed, you have to burn the boats. And what does that mean? There is an old adage, actually apparently a true story, about Chinese general that wanted to capture an island And in order to make sure that there was no way back, when they got to the island, he made them throw everything to do on the boat so they cannot really, and then burn the boat so they cannot go back. They had only one choice, go and capture the island. This is something that Jack Walsh used to say to his team. I want to be number one and number two, burn the boat. Don't look back. And to me, this kind of a focus and being number one and number two, otherwise forget it is very important. Furthermore, uh, if you think that there is madness to this uh, kind of a story, it's not. There is a lot of ingenuity. Why? Because the number one and number two are the one that get most of the benefit. Number one actually get by 60% more benefit than number two, and number two get about 40 more benefits than number three. Number three basically doesn't get anything. They get the crumb. So unless you're number one or number two, you don't want to be in a business. And this is the message that he gave to the board of director G. They accepted it, and the results were magnificent. He grew the company both in terms of size as well as in terms of capitalization, market capitalization, to a great heights. Oh, I love that. Jack Welsh occupies a pretty good space on my bookshelf. I love the whole idea of burning the boats. Absolutely. This is why I'm absolutely pumped to have you on the show. 
you are an absolute legend among high-tech leaders. Your company, MindBridge AI, is a global leader as well. Not just here in Canada, not just in North America, but around the world. So do you mind if I do a little bragging about you? Well, just a little. <laughs> I know you're a humble guy, but it's not every day that we've got somebody like you here. So stop me if I'm going off course. Ellie Fathy, I know that you got your master's in electrical engineering right here at the University of Ottawa. You went on to found and run several groundbreaking high-tech companies way before high-tech was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about who we've got on the show here. So Ellie Fothy was the CEO of Applied Silicon in the late 1980s. Then he was the CEO of Telexis, a video over IP company in the late 1990s. Then he was the CEO of Orbit IQ in the early 2000s. He was the chair and co-founder of Corporate and Community Social Responsibility Conferences, which were big in the 2000s, which were showcasing social innovations. And then from there, this is one, I love this, you co-founded and were the co-CEO of Fluidware Corp, which grew like wildfire. This Fluidware Corp was a huge sensation around here, and it served massive corporations like Coca-Cola, Groupon, Harvard University, McAfee, and many, many others before you were acquired by SurveyMonkey in 2014. And I think that it was after that acquisition that you bought your first fleet of Lamborghinis. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe throw a couple of the unused colors my way, if you don't mind. <laughs> These days, I think now it seems to me that you're onto your most ambitious an exciting journey yet. It's since 2015, you're now the co-founder and CEO of MindBridge AI. You're providing advanced anomaly detection solutions that are based on human-centric artificial intelligence, machine learning, and big data that's helping organizations everywhere find new insights and detect those anomalies so that they're shortening that learning cycle and being way more effective. So holy smokes, Ellie, this is spectacular. It's the first time that we've ever had a six times high-tech CEO on the show. And it's also the first time that we've had someone who can help us appreciate the positive potential of artificial intelligence, somebody who is absolutely passionate about helping emerging leaders and entrepreneurs like you do. I know that you're currently serving as a mentor at LSPARC. That's a local accelerator for software as a service startups. SaaS startups. And I also know that you are on the board at Startup Canada. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Did you know that we uh, interviewed the CEO of Startup Canada, Victoria Lennox, back on episode 23? She's a very brilliant person. I know everybody who's listening would love to hear about your journey and where you're at. Some ideas from you on artificial intelligence and where that's going. And if you will, enlighten us with some of your perspectives on leading people mentoring people, and especially leading in the world of high-tech. Is that okay? Absolutely. Terry, thank you so much for your kind words. I feel very honored to be on the show. My philosophy right now, being the CEO of my seventh startup, is that, number one, you have to give back and you have to make a difference. As a matter of fact, if you look at the mantras, we have the mantra at MindBridge, the M stand for make a difference. Oh, I love it. It's very important that each individual, each company make a difference in their world. 
in any way, small way or big way. But when it comes to artificial intelligence, this is a really very important topic. And the reason is very simple. Andrew Eng, the uh, chief scientist for Baidu, said that the impact of AI on the world is going to be the same impact of electricity. Wow. And if that's the case, that means that every person in the planet is going to be impacted. Every enterprise will be impacted and governments will be impacted. But let me give you a little bit of history about how do we get here and then tell you a little bit about what are the concerns that I have in terms of the AI and what can we do in Canada to become leader. And the other aspect that is really important to me, and I spend a lot of time, I serve on many nonprofit boards over the last 20 years. Oh, yeah. I'm currently also serving on the board of Startup Canada. I mentor a lot of people because it's very important that you give back to the community. Mm -hmm. so, so let me talk about the AI and why is it so important to all of us, all Canadians and the people in the world. What is AI? Number one, artificial intelligence. If you want to define it in a simple word, it is machine mimicking the behavior of a human. That's what it is, the behavior and functionality of a human. If you think that machine learning and artificial intelligence is something new, it's not. It's been around 50 years. In 1955, there was a book called Augmenting Human Intelligence. And there are two really school of thoughts going back then. One, that we're going to deal with singularity, where a machine is going to function at the same level cognitive and knowledge and uh, conscientious as a human being, or in the other one where people are saying, hang on, machines are not going to run the world. They are going to be in support, or augment what human being is doing. I tend to subscribe to the second one, definitely for the next 20 years. Singularity will get there when machine and human are synonymous, but that will be probably the pundit are talking about the year 2040. So let's ignore that because that has a whole set of issues related to that. And the, the chief among them is issue related to basically what is the role of AI and the ethics in the world. Ignore that for now. And we'll talk about the other side. So You, you just put my mind at ease. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we are not going to run by computers and machine in the next 20 years. So let's look at how machine can help. Yeah. Why is there such interest in that? Over the last 50 years, the AI world is known to have what they call winters and springs. There was a lot of hype. AI is going to be changing the world. And then there was such spectacular failures. And then another spring and another failure and another winter and another spring. Everything changed 2014. What happened? Company in Europe, in the UK, called DeepMind, showed computer software that was able to learn game and beat the users about 60 times versus losing 50 times. The company was purchased by Google for 400 million pounds. Mm -hmm. And in October of 2017, just six months ago, they launched a subsequent software upgrade and they call it AlphaGo Zero. It's a very complicated game because it has many, many moving parts to it. And the permutation, if you want to do it just by sheer brute force, is not that possible because the number of paths are very, very significant. Yeah. When you look at artificial intelligence, you have to consider take a baby. A baby can learn dog, 
cat, mom, dad, hot, cold, don't touch the stove, by teaching. This is the same thing, uh, analogy that you do for a computer. It's called labeled data. So this chaotic string of stuff, we can stick a label on it because we see it consistently. That's a dog, that's a cat, right, okay. And when you hear about big data, big data give the machine basically the fuel that it needs to learn. A machine has to learn just like a little child needs to learn by, from mom and dad. So what happened with AlphaGo Zero in October 2017, AlphaGo Zero, what they have done, now they're part of Google, that they learn without labeled data. They had a computer system that gave them just the rules of the game, no labeled data. In other words, they did not take the opinions of experts to teach the system. They just gave the system the rules. Within three days of computing, playing against itself, it's called reinforced learning. And the computer itself, by mm -hmm. fighting and learning from itself, from ground zero, after three days, was able to beat, majority of the time, any of the best opponents that they have. So that was a breakthrough. That's what we are heading toward. So now, why are the governments in the world are very excited? Because we now consider this as the fourth industrial revolution. And if you look back in the first three industrial revolution, if it was the steam engine, if it was automation, and then the computer age, and now the fourth one, which is the AI, what it means is that there are key ramifications on human beings. The general ramification is that there'll be replacement and displacement of people. And that's obviously a concern to us, to as human, it's concern to government. But in reality, if you look at the past, the term that was coined was technology unemployment. It was coined by John Keynes in the 30s. But the reality was quite different in the sense that jobs were created because there were new products, there was more productivity, and there was more innovation that added services, products, and uh, productivity. And the reality was that there were four times more jobs created in industrial revolution. Yeah, it opened up a bunch of opportunities. A lot of opportunity. So what is happening now and why governments are concerned is because what we are seeing is the pace of change. And furthermore, there is other elements that are concerning in the sense that in the last 20 years, robotics already ate into the blue collar workforce. So if you go now to an assembly line in cars, you will see the number of individuals working in the plants are very small compared to the number of robots that you have. Uh, the low-level skills, so blue-collar skills have been automated. Now, at the last few years, low-level skills have been eliminated. If you now go to companies, the receptionist doesn't exist anymore. An iPad is acting as the receptionist. I see that all the time, yeah. So now you got rid of the low-level skill. And now the AI is addressing the white collar. Then that's the problem because now you are attacking it from every side. So that's the situation. And now let's talk about Canada. So how does Canada play in this world? So it's very important as Canadian that we see how we play in this wonderful area, the opportunity that exists with AI. PwC just put a, a research paper saying that by the year 2030, the value created, as we discussed, because of new product, productivity, and new innovation of, in services will generate $15.7 trillion to the world economy with the expectation that Canada, North America, and China will benefit the most. So how do we take advantage of it? And that's one of the things that we have to look at it. 
consider that Canada has 1.9 trillion in GDP. We represent 3% of the world GDP. And yet what we want to do is to take advantage of this $15.7 trillion of benefits. So how do we fit into that? Right. If you look at it, we fit fairly good. And the question is, from this point onwards, how can we maintain leadership in this area? So let me highlight some of the value that Canada has right now. Number one, the governments around the world are investing. France is $1.5 billion into AI. China is $2 billion. UK is putting a lot of money. Wow. Uh, Russia is racing like crazy to try to put more money and research into AI. Japan, the US, everybody is putting a lot of money into it. We are in a foot race against other countries. And we are a small country. We are 34 million people. Yeah. The US, we are 40 million. We are one tenth of them. We don't have the resources that other people have. Yeah. So we have to be smart about it. So number one, our government, all level, both provincial and the federal, have invested $250 million, created three research centers, one, the Vector Institute in Toronto, the Mila in Montreal, and the AME in Edmonton. We have two of the father of deep learning, which is a branch of machine learning, artificial intelligence, Joshua Bengio in Montreal, and Jeff Hinton in Toronto. We know that the reverse brain drain, we're seeing a lot of people coming from the US and other countries moving back into Canada, which is fantastic. So we have reverse brain drain. It's not something. Yeah. We know that big companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, all of them are opening AI research centers in Toronto area, the KW area. We in Canada have over 500 startup companies that are designated as AI companies. We have enough in the universities, the data and the support from all level of governments to generate the next generation of data scientists. These are the ones that are going to help us to develop the algorithms for the new AI that we need. So we are sitting in a nice situation. Mm -hmm. So now question is, we are a small country and how do we maintain? So right now we have a leading position. We're not necessarily number one, but we're in the top three. If you look at where we are in the world, how do we maintain this and what do we do? And this is really the what I feel is the blueprint that we need to look at. Unfortunately, we cannot boil the ocean. We need to focus, focus, focus. Remember what Jack Well said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Number one or number two, we can't boil the ocean. Right. We have to look at what we are strong at and focus on that. So what are we good in Canada? When the world melted, the world economy in 2008, the financial sector melted, Canadian did not. Yeah. Our financial sector was very strong. So we're good at financial side. Very strong. Where else are we good? So we do have good in automotive. We are good in accounting. We have a lot. In, from again, from governance and regulatory by Canada is fantastic. We are good at forestry. We are good at agriculture and we are good at natural resources. So what we have to do is focus. The next area that is important and is very important and dear to me when you're talking about how do we succeed, we have right now the population where 51% female, 49% male. And yet in the high tech, we only have 11% that are female participating. That's not the ratio that we see in China or in India, Israel, and other countries. We have to bring 
women in techs. Right now, as a company, Mindbridge is hosting an AI conference called Impact AI. The whole notion of it is what's the impact that AI is going to have on governments, on enterprise, or individuals. So we're bringing all kinds of experts from around North America to talk about that. And to me, one of the elements that we're going to promote is two things. One, we're going to promote early education. So we're going to identify people that are teaching at high school, people that are teaching in elementary school that are teaching our young children to become scientists, STEM. We need to have women in STEM, young people going to STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. We need to increase and balance it. We need to have more women and more young people interested in this area. We also need to celebrate successes to, to inspire other people. If we're going to do all of that and we focus, I think that Canada has a very good chance to become leader in certain areas. And that's all we need because we can't. We just don't have the resources to be everything to everybody. The future appears to be very bright. And I think that it's a very exciting opportunity for all Canadians. Well, you're giving me all kinds of enthusiasm and hope. And I think anybody who's listening right now would agree with that. I want to thank you because these perspectives are gold. And this is really what we need is the thought leaders out there, the business leaders out there. We need to get inside your space and understand things from your perspective if we're all going to learn and all raise the bar up for ourselves. So I've got a couple of questions for you. The first one is this, Ellie, what do you think the biggest challenges are that are facing a lot of leaders out there today? There are a couple of key challenges. One is the pace of change. I look at it as three levels, individual, enterprise, and country. And if you look at the key element in all of this is the pace of change. Technology is changing so fast that in our daily life, in our work environment, and from a country to deliver, if it's a municipality, provincial, federal, to deliver the services that are needed, utilizing technology. Let's start with the higher level, government. How can you deliver services using technology if, let's say, 2% or 1% or 10 people in the country are not able to be serviced? It's a problem. If you look from an enterprise perspective, the same thing. You have to continue to change the technology and so on. So the rapid pace of change is a problem. The other issue, of course, is the globalization and the competitiveness that we are seeing. This is going to continue because you don't have any more monopoly in intelligence. I just read two weeks ago that MIT and Harvard are doing what they call micro masters. And what does it mean is that you can do online the master's degree, and then all you have to do is come for two semesters and you'll get your master's from MIT. Think about it, MIT. Yeah, wow. They expected 2,000 people. When they opened the registration, they had over 10,000 people applying. You have the competition. Before, when you apply to something, you had a good chance of getting in. Now, the competitiveness is incredible because you have smart people from around the world competing. So both, again, on individual level, you can see what I'm saying, that it's all three levels, individual, enterprise, and government. Oh, it's incredible, yeah. The competitiveness is another element that is very difficult in the, the pace of change. From my perspective, so these are the two key challenges that leadership has right now. So we need to prioritize, but we need to prioritize based on what the current situation is because everything's changing so quickly. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> now, here's my last question for you, Ali. 
What does inspired leadership mean to you? Inspired leadership is extremely important to making us successful. I read a lot of books. I mentioned almost every very successful in the high tech, at least, I, I tend to follow. Why is it important? Because it makes all of us want to celebrate success. And that's one of the other elements that I identified when I talk about Canada and how we're going to go to the next level in AI. We have to celebrate success. When you read about Howard Schultz or Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, and all of these people, how they build a significant organization. I like, for example, at Howard Schultz, how they treat the employees, how they give back to the community, how environment is very important to them. So by having inspired leadership, you are uplifting everybody. And to me, I use the term rising tide raises all boats. And this is so important because we are a developed country. We are in the G7. We are very successful, but we have to maintain that. We know that there'll be other countries that are coming behind that are going to compete with us. And we want to make sure that we stay up there and even improve from where we are, maybe from the G7 to the G6 or whatever it is, become even better. And to do that, we need inspired leadership. And by getting these leadership and see how they are doing it and what they are doing to improve our life, it's very exciting and it's self-fulfilling prophecy. The more we believe in what they are doing, the more we want to do it. And the more other people are going to do it, and it's a great cycle to be in. You, my friend, are raising the tide for all of us. So thank you so much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule and throwing a little insight and perspective our way. My pleasure, Terry. I really want to wish you the absolute very best, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. Another awesome perspective from another inspiring leader that we can all learn from. And if you're enjoying Inspiring Leaders, please support us by leaving your ratings on iTunes, just like Steve, who wrote, Amazing stories and definitely worth listening to. Thank you, Steve, for taking a few seconds out of your day to share the love. We appreciate it because it's this kind of support that allows us to get the big guns out like Ellie Fathy. So please do us all a favor, head over to iTunes and share some stars with us. Thanks again, everybody, for checking us out this week. Join us again next week when we host another inspiring leader worth following. Take care and bye for now.